not, but Christmas gets more and more awkward every year. Have you, have you noticed this? Uh, I'm not so much talking about your own uh, personal experience of Christmas. I'm not talking about my own personal experience of Christmas. I'm really thinking more about Western culture's collective experience and celebration of Christmas. It gets really, really uh, very awkward, and uh, more so every single year. And the reason is that it's so awkward is because Christmas itself is steeped in Christian theology and meaning. It comes right out of the pages of the Bible itself. But Western culture has officially rejected Christianity and the Bible as the truth. In fact, not only rejected it, but finds the message of Christianity to be offensive. So on the one hand, you have this rejected, offensive Christian message that is at the center of this massive holiday. But on the other hand, we just can't get rid of Christmas because the economy depends on it. Like last year, Christmas sales accounted for a trillion, one trillion dollars of the U.S. economy. Brick and mortar retailers, you guys know this, their entire year is made or lost at Christmas time. See, it's, it's, so, it's so awkward. We don't like what Christmas stands for, but we can't get rid of it because we need the money. You know, Christmas, if you think about it, Christmas is kind of like your rich old grandfather who shouts offensive, politically incorrect dogma to everyone in earshot, but he gives you $300 every time you see him. Like you wish you were more principled, but you really need the cash. Christmas is, is really awkward in Western culture. And increasingly, people get caught in the middle. Like schools and, and government, uh, governmental agencies, they can't even refer to it as Christmas. They have to call it the winter holidays or something equally generic because not everyone who goes to school, not everyone who lives under the auspices of the U.S. government are Christians. Businesses have had to rethink their approach to Christmas, sometimes losing customers if, if their customers are greeted by people in the business with Merry Christmas. Sometimes that's offensive to people. In fact, Ikea, I don't, I don't know if you guys knew this, Ikea, 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 uh, referred to their Christmas decorations this year as their Winterfest collection because they didn't want to refer to Jesus in any, uh, in any way. I, please understand, I'm not bashing I'm not bashing Ikea, I'm not bashing schools, I'm not bashing businesses for their choices. Just making the point that Christmas has become really, really awkward in Western culture. In fact, Jesus has taken over, I think, from Lord uh, Voldemort as the new he who must not be named. We can't live with Christmas, but we can't live without Christmas either. And so we either just ignore the Christian message behind Christmas, or we try to redefine it as a generic, sentimental, annual tradition. A few years ago, the uh, Pew Research Center uh, published the results of a survey that they had uh, just uh, uh, concluded about Christmas. Uh, they found, this isn't probably very surprising to you, nine in 10 Americans say that they celebrate Christmas, but less than five out of 10 said that they celebrate it as a religious holiday. See, that's the awkward part. In fact, many people have no idea anymore that Christmas even has Christian roots. A few years ago, uh, the Sydney, Australia Morning Herald ran an article. I'm sorry I don't have the reference to this, but trust me, they ran it. The writer of this article attacked, uh, attacked this. He said he was attacking cynical attempts by Christians to hijack the whole holiday for their own religious ends. Don't even know 
right? Celebration of Christmas is increasingly awkward in Western cultures. Here's another way to think about it. Christmas is a massive celebration of a historical event that we neither believe happened nor would, want it, nor would we want it to have happened because it's too offensive. But we mark this offensive non-event with the joyful exchanging of gifts. How awkward is that? How illogical, how, how, how illogical, how weird is that? Here's the question. What is it that is so offensive about Christmas? Have you ever thought about that? Have you ever asked yourself, what is it exactly that we are so offended by when it comes to Christmas? What is it about Christmas that makes it so awkward in the first place? I've got a true-false question that I want you to answer. You don't have to answer this out loud, so you can just answer it privacy of your own, you know, heart. Uh, here it is. I'm also, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands or anything like that, so just, just answer it privately. Are you ready? Here it is. Here's the true-false question. True or false, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. True or false? True or false? Now, tell me if I'm right about what's happening in your mind right now. Your instinctive answer was true, but right now you're thinking that the answer is so obviously true that it must be a trick question or I wouldn't have asked it in the first place. So now you're thinking false. Am I right about this? Yeah. True or false? Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Let's see if we can answer that question as well as the question about what makes Christmas so offensive from a passage that you don't often find preached at Christmas, but I think it's a tremendous Christmas passage. It's found in the New Testament book of Romans chapter 8, uh, verse 32. Romans chapter 8 and verse 32. Find that passage, whatever the form of the Bible that you brought with you today, digital, hard copy, whatever, and you're going to find the answer to the true-false question that I just asked you, as well as the answer to what's so offensive about Christmas in this passage. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to borrow one of the Bibles in the pew rack there in front of you. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church in Rome. We're just going to look at one verse. And he says this. He says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Now, in the interest of time, I'm just going to tell you. You can go back and you can check, check me on it later. But we know from the context that the Son being referred to here in this passage is Jesus Christ. And now that you've read this verse, does it change your answer to the true-false question that I asked you? True or false, Christmas is the celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. Anything about this verse change your answer? Because I want you to notice... That the focus in Romans 8.32 is not on the birth of Jesus Christ, but on the what of Jesus Christ. It's on the what. What? What is it? It's on the gift of Jesus Christ. Which is not to say that the accounts of the birth of Jesus Christ are not important. They absolutely are. But if Christmas were just about Jesus being born into the world, we would celebrate Christmas by having babies on Christmas Day. Why take offense at the birth of a baby? See, we'd celebrate, people would target Christmas as the day for their baby's birth. Perhaps hospitals would induce labor on Christmas Day. I don't know. But Christmas isn't about the fact that Jesus was just born on Christmas Day. No, the answer to the true-false question that I just asked you is false. Christmas is the celebration of the gift of Jesus Christ. 
He's the gift that Christmas is about. He's the reason that we exchange gifts with one another to celebrate that Jesus was gifted to us. And this is also what is so offensive about Christmas. This is why we try to ignore the message of Christmas. It's why we try to redefine Christmas into a quaint, palatable, sentimental, generic holiday about gift giving. Because the message that Jesus was gifted to us is too offensive. Why? Why is it offensive? How can a gift be so offensive? I want to give you three reasons that the gift of Jesus Christ is so, exp- is so offensive. And I'll explain each, but here they are all at once. The gift of Jesus Christ tells us something that we can't do, something that is wrong with us, and something that we must do. Something that we can't do, something that is wrong with us, and something that we must do. And all three of those are offensive. We'll start with the first one. The gift of Jesus Christ tells us something we can't do. I don't know if you know this or not. But historians will tell you that the first uh, ancient cities were all built around uh, mountains. The reason for this was that the people in these ancient cities would put their temples to their gods or goddesses at the highest place on the mountain. And you wanted to live in a place where you could get up the mountain and get to the temple to make your offerings because the gods there controlled the rains and harvest and fertility and all the like. These gods had to be appeased. You wanted to be able to get up there. Now, sometimes if the people didn't live near a mountain, they would build a, a ziggurat. You know what a ziggurat is? Here's a picture. Here's a picture of a ziggurat. Let's put it up there. Yeah, there's a ziggurat. Ziggurat was like a, it was like a man-made mountain at the top of which was a temple to their gods and goddesses. Now, why did they do that? Why did they build around a mountain? Why did they put their temple at the top of the mountain? That seems so inconvenient. If you put it at the bottom of the mountain or the bottom of the ziggurat, it would be so much easier to get to, right? Well, the idea was that by ascending the steps of the ziggurat or ascending the, the mountain, you were saying to the God or the gods of your religion, look at what I've done. Look at what I've given you. Look at the effort that I have made to get here and to worship and to make sacrifices to you. I have ascended by great effort to do this for you. Now that I've done this for you, make me prosperous, bless me, save me, whatever. Whatever it was that they would be asking their gods to do. So you see, the the mountain or the ziggurat was very much a kind of stairway to heaven. It was a way that you could ascend to God. And I don't know if you realize it, but every religion in the world today, every religion in the world throughout history, and every religion that will ever exist in the future is just a variation on this theme. Every religion in the world has its own stairway to heaven, that if you climb it and make the right sacrifices and do the right things... You will either be blessed by the God or, or the gods, or you will achieve a, a godlike state, or you will be saved, or something like that. Every religion in the world is like this. Every religion has its own stairway to heaven. Buddhism has the Noble Eightfold Path. At the end of that, if you practice it, if you obey it, it leads to nirvana, to a higher state of being. Judaism has the Ten Commandments and the, and the Mosaic Law, that if you obey, God will accept you. In Islam, you must obey the Quran to appease Allah. Every world religion has some set of rules or standards, codes, laws, levels, whatever, that vary a much amount to its own stairway to heaven. But Christianity 
is the exception to the rule. It has a completely different message. Do you understand that? Christianity says that instead of you having to ascend, God descended, came to earth for us in the person of Jesus, and he did it as a gift to us. Now, here's the thing. On the surface, that doesn't sound so offensive, does it? I mean, it kind of sounds nice. I mean, it sounds sweet, actually. Like he, you, like he saved us some trouble. We don't even have to go up the mountain. Isn't that sweet? Isn't that efficient? That's wonderful. But if you think about it, it's actually scandalously offensive. And here's what I mean. All of those religions with their stairways to heaven, what they allow you to do is to, you know, they allow people to distinguish themselves spiritually through their discipline, through their morality, through their adherence to the laws or the teachings or whatever. Some people distinguish themselves as they climb the mountain. They distinguish themselves as more disciplined, more obedient, more compliant, whatever. In other words, more deserving of blessing, more deserving of honor. And that's the point of climbing, right? Isn't that the point of climbing? Whatever it is that you climb. Isn't that the point? The higher you go, the rarer the air, the fewer who have been there, and the fewer who can get there. Paul says here in Romans 8.32, he gave him up for us all. He's saying everyone needed the gift, you see. Which means that you couldn't ascend high enough to God. So he had to come down to you. And that means, and here's the offense, here's the offense. What that means is, we can't distinguish ourselves as more deserving than others. We can't distinguish ourselves as more deserving of God's blessing, grace, goodness, whatever. We can't distinguish ourselves from anybody else. The gift is for everyone Because everyone needs the gift. Kings and prostitutes, males and females, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, powerful and powerless, moral and immoral, all need the gift of Jesus. Now to some of you, that sounds beautifully egalitarian, doesn't it? But it depends on your vantage point. A few years ago, there was this story. Uh, some of you probably heard this story. It's about a guy in Seattle. It was kind of it was a pretty big story back a few years ago. It's about a guy in Seattle. He was the CEO of a company that he founded called Gravity. Anybody remember this story? One day, he decided that he was going to raise the minimum salary in his company to $70,000 a year. You guys remember this story? Raise it, he, he decided everybody, no matter who you were, he was going to raise the minimum salary $70,000 a year. Some employees actually saw their wages as much as double. You can imagine how those people loved this. But guess who didn't love it? Guess who didn't love it? Yeah, people who felt they'd done more, worked harder, been there longer, sacrificed more. People higher up. Those people quit the company because they were offended. And you see, the more that you've played by the rules, the more you've sacrificed, the more you've sweat, the more you've bled, the more offensive it is to be told that you aren't any more deserving than someone who hasn't done all of that. It's offensive, you see, this gift 
of Jesus Christ. It's scandalously offensive because it tells us something that we can't do. We can't distinguish ourselves as more deserving than other people of the gift because Jesus was a gift to everybody. And this is the thing about Jesus that has offended religious people from the Pharisees in Jesus' day to every religious person in the world today. It says, I can't make myself more worthy than anyone else. That's offensive. Something else that's offensive about it. Something else offensive about this gift. Uh, This gift that God has given us in Jesus, part of the reason we're so offended by it is that it tells us there's something wrong with us. Ladies, I want you to imagine sitting around the Christmas tree on Wednesday, and there's a gift from your mother-in-law. It's wrapped beautifully. It's got your name on it. You're surprised it's there to begin with because you've had some tension with her this year, but you're grateful nonetheless for the sentiment. You unwrap it only to discover it's a book entitled How to Overcome Selfishness. (laughs) How do you feel about that? You like that? Husbands, uh, suppose your wife gives you a year's supply of deodorant for Christmas. You feel good about that? See, if if you accept those gifts, if you say thank you, you're in a sense admitting I'm selfish or I smell. Some gifts are really hard to receive because to do so is to admit that you have flaws and weaknesses and that you need help. And see, here's the thing that's so offensive about the gift of Jesus. There has never been a gift offered that makes you swallow your pride to the depths that the gift of Jesus Christ requires us to. Because when Paul says in this verse that God did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, that word spare is a word that means to refrain from harming. In other words, he didn't refrain from harming his son for us. Christmas tells us that there is something wrong with us. Namely, here it is. This is what's so offensive. Christmas tells us, the gift of Jesus at Christmas tells us that we are so lost, so unable to save ourselves, that nothing less than the death of the Son of God himself could save us. That's what's so offensive, you see. That means that you're not somebody who can pull yourself together and live a moral and good life. That's offensive. That's why we're so embarrassed by the message of Christmas. That's why we're so offended by it. That's why we redefine it into something sentimental and generic instead of meditating deeply on the reality of the message of Christmas. It's offensive. It tells us that there is something deeply wrong with us. That's why you needed the gift Here's the third thing. Christmas is offensive because it tells us something we must do. And as I said earlier, it is clear from the context of this particular verse in Romans 8 that when Paul says God did not spare his own son but gave him up for his all, it's clear that he's talking about Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the gift. Not Buddha, not Allah, not Krishna, not Gandhi, no one else. And so the gift of Jesus Christ tells us something we must do, and here it is, and this is what's so offensive about Christmas. It tells us we must bow before the only name, Jesus, under heaven by which we can be saved. It tells us we must bow before the only name under heaven by which we can be saved, and that name, of course, is Jesus. And for many people, 
This might be the most offensive thing of, of all about Christmas. Some people say, maybe some of you would say, this is the thing I hate about Christianity. It's so exclusive. You guys say that Jesus is the only way to be saved. That's ex- exclusive, and it leaves out a lot of other people. And maybe that's exactly what you feel this morning. Maybe that's what you resent about Christian, about Christmas. But can I ask you a question, if that's how you feel? Can I ask you a question? What's your alternative? Like, what's your alternative? And maybe you would say, well, here's the thing. It doesn't really matter whether you believe in Christ or not. All religions are the same. And besides that, it doesn't really matter. Just as long as you're a good person. That's what matters. Can I ask you? Do you not realize how exclusive that is? Like, just know that, you know, just, just as long as you're a good person, do you not realize how exclusive that is? In fact, I'll tell you what, it's so exclusive that it leaves me out. And why do I say that? Well, I've been doing this job. <laughs> For a long time, I think I figured out recently that I've preached over 4,000 sermons. Now, each one of those sermons takes, and you, you're going to be surprised by this because you think I don't do anything through the rest of the week, but each, <laughs> you laugh because you know that's true. Uh, each one of those sermons takes about 20 to 30 hours to prepare. Did you know that? Because it requires me to study the passage, then reflect on it, and then I have to organize it into some kind of cogent form and then, and then write it out. So I have a lot of time that I'm reflecting on the Bible and its morality. And here's one thing I know. I don't live up to it. Not even close. I am not a good person. My heart is dark. Even my best moments, even the best things I have done are clouded with bad motives. In fact, I'll tell you, I think this is one of the things that's the most difficult about being a pastor. I know you didn't ask. I'm not, really not asking you to feel sorry for me at all. But I think the difficulty of being a pastor is knowing internally that you don't measure up to the standards of God or even to the expectations of the people in your church. And if I can say this without you feeling sorry for me, I think it's one of the most lonely jobs in the world. For that reason. Because people offer frequently, over the years, people, and they're so sweet when they offer it. People offer frequently, and they they think they really mean it. They'll they'll say, you know, I just want you to know, you can tell me anything. You can tell me anything. But if you really did, if you really told them everything, like their hair would turn white, and they would leave your church immediately. And if you think you wouldn't do that, you don't understand the darkness and the inhumanity of your own heart. Because here's the thing, when you say just be a good person, your exclusivity leaves me out. And frankly, it leaves out anyone who has an ounce of self-awareness because none of us can say that we are good people all the time. I mean, go back to my illustration a moment ago. Ladies, if your mother-in-law gave you a book called How to Overcome Selfishness, I don't care how moral and sweet and kind you are, in your head, you would be waterboarding her. Be honest about that. (laughs) Like, you know it. You're not that good. You're not that good. See, those of you who say it's not who you believe in that's, that's important, it's just being a good person that matters, 
Like you think that that makes your view so inclusive and magnanimous while you think Christianity, well, that's offensively exclusive, but really it's just one kind of exclusivity over another. And I'm going to tell you something. I'll take my exclusivity over your exclusivity any day. Do you know why? Do you know why? Because if Jesus is the Christ, then no matter what your record is, no matter whether you come out of a wonderful, nice, healthy, moral family, whether you come out of a massively dysfunctional and addictive family full of brokenness, whether you come out of wealth, whether you come out of poverty, whether you come from America or Southeast Asia, whether you're conservative, whether you're liberal, whether you're capitalist or socialist, you can come to him because God gave him up for us all. See, the Christian message is so different than moralism. It's so different from the view that says, well, you know, all the religions are are, are fine and, and all good people can come to God. The important thing is not what you believe or who you believe. It's just whether you live a nice life. Here's what I know. Here's what I know. Ask the person who says this. Ask the person who says that. Ask him to deal with people who are utter moral failures. And what do they have to say? They have nothing to say. All moralism says and all religion says is pull yourself up by your bootstraps. Pull yourself together. Follow the code. Obey the law. Meditate more. Whatever it is. That's all it can say. You got to pull yourself together. But when you come to a person who's a Christian who knows that he or she is saved, not because of anything they've done, but because of everything that Jesus has done. That person will treat the moral failure with hope in a way that a moralist never, ever could. Why? Because the Christian looks at that person, no matter what they've done, no matter what kind of failure they are, and realizes that the Bible is full of flawed people who have made shockingly bad choices and yet still find themselves pursued by a God who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. It's so offensive to people to hear that there's only one name by which you can be saved. But let me tell you something. I'll take the exclusivity of that over the exclusivity of, oh, you can be saved by just being a good person. I'll take the exclusivity of Jesus Christ over that exclusivity any day. Any day. Christmas is a celebration of the gift of Jesus Christ. And that's the reason Western culture tries to ignore and redefine the real meaning of Christmas. Because the gift of Jesus Christ is offensive. Now you might be saying to yourself as you sit here, you might be saying, well, just a little while ago, Dustin Krantz got up here and he said that I mean, he had a really nice little talk, and he said that Advent is, I mean, he was sweet. He said Advent is about peace. And Jeff, you're up here talking about how Christmas is so offensive. I'll take Dustin's version of Christmas over yours any day. And the thing is, Dustin and I are both right. It's just that you have to go through the offense of the gift to get to the peace. There's one thing that your soul needs for real peace. It's to hear in the center of your being the voice of God saying, 
In spite of everything that you've done, I love you. And until you go through the offense of the gift of Jesus, you'll never be able to be honest enough with yourself that it won't crush you or accepting enough of yourself that it won't make you proud. Until you go through the offense of the gift, you will always be vacillating between guilt and shame and denial and pride, always needing to make distinctions between you and someone else, always needing to prove yourself. There's no peace in that. To bring peace to the world, the world needed one Savior, one gift, who was big enough to redeem us all, good and bad, moral and immoral. One gift, one person who could unify all of us and bring the world together in peace. That was the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about, the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ. Would you bow your heads with me? Lord, I want to pray for those who are in the room today who maybe have lived their lives thinking that uh, maybe they've lived their lives thinking that you know, just being good, that was the, really the calling of life. Maybe they've thought of that as being a really magnanimous uh, uh, approach to life. Lord, would you show, would you show them this morning how exclusive that is. Would you show them, Lord, how much they have to live in self-denial to come to that conclusion about themselves that they are good? But Lord, would you give them a sense this morning, a new sense of the beauty of the Lord Jesus Christ and the gift of the Lord Jesus Christ and how that the gift of Lord, the Lord Jesus Christ makes it possible for everyone to come under the cross, to come under the umbrella, to come through the gift, the offense, yes, but the gift of Jesus. And to be found, to be saved, to be found, to be made worthy through the gift of Jesus Christ. To be unified, to not have to distinguish ourselves from everybody else, to not live with all of the guilt and shame and denial and pride and all of that stuff. Would you show us the beauty of the gift of Jesus Christ today? And as we celebrate Christmas, would you, would you draw this message back to our minds over and over and over again? But on the one hand, the gift was an offense, but on the other hand, it's the most beautiful gift in the world because it's the gift of peace peace between man and you and peace between man and other men. And it's in your name, Lord Jesus Christ, that we worship and pray today.